you don't have to be in Jakarta anymore, right? Uh, the the regions, the, the the secondary cities, uh, Surabaya, Jogja, Bandung, they've Medan, they've seen a lot of uh, more economic activities because of this, and a lot of people actually, not a lot, but a significant number of people actually chose to work from their hometowns. They chose to work from Bali, for example. Um, so you're right that that uh, the pandemic actually uh, distributes the economic activities better across Indonesia. I'm Richard Yetzenga. You're listening to Blue Lens on Mike. In this series, we hear from a broad range of experts from business, economics, and further afield, bringing you unique perspectives on a world still grappling with post-COVID reality. Today, I'm joined by Dana Rex, the CEO, Ari Sereno out of Indonesia. Uh, Ari, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Richard. You're CEO of PT Danarexa. Tell us about the organization and its role, please. Of course. So Danarexa is a state-owned company that was initially established to support the development of Indonesia's capital market. So we were the first underwriters, the first local underwriters of the capital market. And we were also the first to offer mutual funds to the general public of the country back in the 1980s and 1990s. So that was our role. But beginning last year, we were given an additional role, additional task by the government of Indonesia to become the holding company for uh, state-owned enterprises that are relatively small in size, but have tremendous potential. But because of their small, relatively small size, they weren't able to get good access to capital. They weren't able to get good access to uh, talent and, and, and also couldn't benchmark their business models. So they weren't able to harness their immense potential. And that's going to be our task going forward is how to assist these SOEs to harness their potential by transforming their business model, by improving their business processes, by getting them access to talents. And so it's, it's becoming our job to, to improve their performance. And we are very excited to actually embark on this journey of our company going forward. Fantastic. It sounds like the organization has almost become a bit of a business incubator, I suppose. And mm-hmm. you mentioned mm-hmm. state-owned enterprises. I mean, I think in Indonesia, the state-owned enterprises as a model, um, a business model, have been entrenched for a long period of time. I mean, how important are they to Indonesian growth and future development? Yes. So let me put it in numbers. About 20% of the state's revenue actually came from SOEs in the form of dividends and taxes. Um, The SOEs contributed about 20% to the country's GDP. So you're right that uh, the well-being of the SOEs actually have a direct correlation with the growth and the well-being of the Indonesian economy in general. But we were also not only tasked to contribute economically and financially, but we were also tasked to contribute some social work, social impacts to the country. For example, uh, in one of our portfolio companies, because this company manage the river flows, the dams, the water management basically uh, uh, in, in a lot of part of our country. 
And their social KPI is actually to ensure how many, uh, how many or how big the lands are properly irrigated or how strong is the flood defense in certain areas. So we do have uh, social KPIs. So the government not only sees SOEs as uh, economic contributors, but also as agents of development. Whenever the government require uh, a locomotive, an engine for new initiatives, the government would look at the SOEs to try to perform those tasks, but uh, in a commercial manner. So the SOEs, even though we're agents of development, the government would still like us to contribute uh, dividends and taxes to the state's revenue. This, um, I guess you call it a mixed development model, I suppose. I mean, given Indonesia's unique geography, mm -hmm. 15,000 islands, 17,000 islands, I mean, this sounds like potentially quite an effective lever for, um, for the government to, to implement um, policy objectives. That's correct. That's correct, Richard. I think, uh, as I said earlier, um, we, do, we, we do become the spearhead sometimes for the government's initiatives. Uh, become a lever, as you said, uh, in implementing some of the policies that the government would like to uh, implement. So um, you're right, basically you're right, that uh, oftentimes we become the engine of growth. Uh, for example, if we, the, the, the latest one is we want to uh, enter into the battery production to utilize the wealth of uh, nickel resources that we have. And we set up, the government set up uh, Indonesian Battery Corporation and tasked this uh, new company uh, to actually establish Indonesia as a player in the global supply chain for electric vehicles. So that's one of the examples of uh, the role for SOEs in Indonesian economy. We're, we're going through a pandemic, which unfortunately seems a little bit never ending, um, at least mm -hmm. as we talk today. And like most of us, I suspect you've been stuck um, where you are. What I mean, when you think about Jakarta the last couple of years, what's day to day life been like through this, um, you know, highly unusual period? Well, I think we can divide the experience into several stages, right? I mean, during the first wave, uh, it was lockdowns, confusion. We, we don't know how to get uh, protective gears. We don't know how to get tests. Uh, the streets were empty. Uh, but as we know more about how to cope with this uh, pandemic, the restrictions were lifted. Uh, people started to move around. Uh, even though the number of cases kept rising, but uh, life becoming to be a bit normal during that time. That this is uh, in the 2020s and uh, up to the early part of 2021 until we hit the peak of the first wave around January. And then um, life continues. I mean, restrictions, just like everywhere in the world. But then we had what was very harrowing in, in, in our experience, the second wave when, I mean, that was just terrifying, uh, Richard. I mean, uh, I know quite a few people who passed away because of COVID. 
uh, every day I hear news about my acquaintance being infected or, or, or having a critical condition. And that was around July to August uh, 2021. That was uh, very, very terrifying. I mean, uh, you can put a face to the enemy now. You can see, you can feel the virus is getting very close to you. Your comments, your comments highlight this uh, hasn't been a crisis of economies or businesses for most part. It's been a crisis of health and inequality, actually. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously, mm -hmm. from a health perspective, Indonesia had a, a very difficult time. One of the changes we, we've seen globally is increasing talk about more flexible working, um, particularly in, a, in an office white collar sense. Um, that mm -hmm. should mean less traffic has that flexible working idea hasn't really taken root in Indonesia at this stage? No, well, I think uh, it does. So the, the idea of actually having flexible working hours have been actually uh, very much becoming the norm now. Uh, even my company, we 50% of our employees working from home at any given day. Uh, we use the, uh, the technology for communication. Uh, you know, virtual meetings and everything like that. But in the earlier parts of the pandemic, I think uh, not a lot of offices actually uh, employ 50-50 working arrangement. Most of the offices were actually uh, working from home, you know. So because more companies are putting people back to the office because relationship still matters and, and, and uh, we've felt that uh, a face-to-face -face meeting oftentimes are necessary for us to conduct uh, our businesses. So even though the flexible working hour is, is, is there, uh, but people start to becoming more mobile and maybe because of the demand of not being able to go to the cinemas or the restaurants to, to the malls, that's why the traffic jams are back. For example, I, I oftentimes I go to the office, have a meeting, because I need to have a face-to-face -face meeting, and then I go back home, uh, work from home. Is this, um, does Jakarta lose out of this in the sense the need to be right there all the time um, as, you know, does Jakarta lose something as the main business hub out of this? I mean, I suspect that's actually a good thing. It might help. Yep. Do you think there's some structural changes which will permeate through the rest of the economy? I do think uh, you're right. Um, uh, you don't have to be in Jakarta anymore, right? Uh, the, the regions, the, the, the secondary cities, uh, Surabaya, Jogja, Bandung, they've made on, they've seen a lot of uh, more economic activities because of this. And a lot of people actually, not a lot, but a significant number of people actually chose to work from their hometowns. They chose to work from Bali, for example. Um, so you're right that, that uh, the pandemic actually uh, distributes the economic activities better across Indonesia. How would, just continuing with this COVID theme, and look, I, I look forward to the day we don't talk about it, but um, mm -hmm. you've, you've had a long history in corporate finance. You've had some very senior roles. When you think about the business sector in Indonesia in general, how, how would you think it's reacted to, um, reacted, responded, dealt with this, this mm -hmm. crisis? Mm -hmm. Well, I think we can see a 
very marked shift in uh, the way business uh, is conducting itself now in Indonesia. Obviously, the first one is the, the emergence of the digital economy. The digital economy in Indonesia grew by about 50% in 21 to become about uh, $70 billion dollars, US dollars uh, in size. So that's a massive growth in digital economy. Uh, driven mostly by the growth in e-commerce, which also grew by a, about 53% to become about $50 billion dollars in size. Um, so the growth of digital economy is one thing that actually uh, meet or requires businesses in Indonesia to cope with. And then um, the businesses also focused on innovation during the pandemic. Uh, years, uh, 20 and 21. And also, uh, I've seen a lot of drive on efficiency uh, and how to make business more efficient, uh, trying to cut uh, unnecessary costs, trying to cut unnecessary overheads. I mean, properties in Indonesia, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's in a, in a, in a decline, uh, declining growth because as you said, more people chose flexible working hours. So offices were basically not as packed as they were before the pandemic. And then uh, we also see a lot of uh, an effort to maintain customers, uh, providing better services to the customers as opposed to acquiring new customers. So the innovation, the, the, the new services, uh, the new ideas to, to provide better services to existing customers have been quite evident. Uh, in the past couple of years. And obviously, last but not least, is the focus on renewable energy. I mean, uh, there's just a lot of push now to transition Indonesia from a fossil fuel-based energy to become a more of a green uh, uh, economy uh, in the last couple of years. But also, having said that, Richard, I think, fortunately, from, from the financial markets, from the capital markets, I think uh, there's also a big trend as the cost of uh, fund plummets, as the deposit rates, uh, you know, uh, halved in the last couple of years. Uh, more and more individual retail investors are trading in the capital markets. I mean, we saw a lot of... Uh, a big tick in the number of individual investors who you know, traded in the capital markets last year. And that's actually quite good because it provides an alternative uh, funding avenue for corporates uh, once the demand for capital expenditure uh, goes up in the next couple of years. And we saw a lot of uh, big IPOs in 2021 as well. Yes, markets everywhere were active. Um, I think yeah. you talk about a lot of themes actually, which are, are quite common. Um, the digital and e-commerce shift, uh, the efficiency mm -hmm. gains as businesses really focused on the detail, shifts in the nature of work, low interest rates, and the, the work shifts in work changing um, relative prices between different property markets and different areas. And then of course, the, the capital market activity, which has been an absolute hallmark of this 
and I use the term crisis in, in a capital market sense in inverted commas, because of course, mm -hmm. if you've been capital market focused, it hasn't been a crisis. It's actually been, mm -hmm. um, it's actually been quite the reverse, which shows the power, I think, of the policy that's been, um, that's been delivered, which, which is uh, obviously all very positive. Can I pick up on the technology piece that you mentioned? Um, mm -hmm. We're in the midst of a global tech revolution. COVID has supercharged this, the digital piece, this work from home piece. It's fair to say, I think, when we think about the Asian region, China and Singapore tend to be used in a first order sense with, with this story. What's the state of play in, uh, in Indonesia? I think you're right that, uh, that China and Singapore tend to take the time, limelight uh, in terms of the revolution in technology in, in Asia. Um, but one thing we have uh, as our strength is the market, uh, Richard. I think even though our internet penetration is only about 70%, but you know, uh, if we look at the structure of the Indonesian market, about 70% of Indonesians actually spend less than 200 Australian dollars a month. But the internet penetration is 70%. So a significant portion of those people who spend less than 200 Australian dollars actually have internet connection. And that's a big market for, for, for us to capitalize on. And I think the government uh, realizes that. So there are policies to, to accelerate, uh, you know, startups, uh, policies to relax, uh, deregulate uh, the environment for establishing new startups and to, to take advantage of the technological revolution. And also an emphasis on research now. In, 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 in the SOE sense, um, there are task forces being set up to analyze how the digital economy, how the technology uh, changes would impact the businesses of the SOEs and how we can actually take advantage of that. I mean, um, last month uh, we set up uh, two new task forces in the state of the enterprise uh, environment, uh, if you will. Uh, one of them is to establish how to, you know, establish a digital currency, for example. And another task force uh, was being set up to analyze how digital assets can become a threat, a disruption, or how we can actually harness the digital assets for SOEs to actually, you know, uh, become a new avenue of growth. And I actually was, I'm, I'm quite fortunate, I'm, I'm the head of the uh, Digital Asset Task Force. That's, that is a fantastic opportunity. And it's something obviously a lot of, a lot of current uh, countries are looking at maybe for listeners i'll make clear there's a, a difference between talking about digital currencies and digital assets Correct. and uh Correct. thinking about the value of bitcoin um they're somewhat related but we shouldn't confuse the two bitcoin could go to a uh, hundred thousand dollars or it could go to zero and i'm not sure it has any impact at all on the, the story you're talking about which is another revolution in and of itself one of the other shifts that has been coincident, at least with this pandemic, I think, is around financial well-being. It's something you read a lot more about in many economies. You spoke about internet uh, penetration 
Technology, of course, has had some benefits, but it's also disruptive. But maybe on, on the positive side, um, the issue of the unbanked, um, 275 million people or so in Indonesia, um, a significant portion um, unbanked in a, in a traditional sense. Is technology really a, a potentially a revolution for these, these sections of the community? Definitely, Richard, definitely. Uh... Because of the high internet penetration in the, if I can say, in the lower middle income uh, population in Indonesia, uh, technology indeed is is the solution, and and, and we are seeing that um, now with the, with the with the internet, with the application, with the handphones that the rural population have, they can actually become banked. They can actually become bankable, and, and and I've seen that. Maybe we can change tack uh, slightly. I'm the economist in the room, so let's talk a little bit about <laughs> the economy. I suppose more broadly, it's been a really good recovery in Indonesia. Very tough 2020, like most places. Um, GDP almost back to pre-pandemic levels, but unemployment is a bit stubborn. It's staying quite high. What sort of social impacts is that having? Uh, I think you're right that uh, there is a, a, a tick, uh, an uptick in unemployment. I think it became about 7% in 2020, and now it's going back to about 6.5% in 2021, still high. Uh, but the good thing is that uh, we have preemptively do something about this by providing what the government called social assistance. So the government provides uh, cash assistance and the government also provides, uh, you know, uh, basic goods uh, assistance, you know, like like uh, cooking oil, uh, rice and everything like that. And the programs actually were not only done one time, but they've done that several times in a year, starting from 2020 all the way up to 2021. I think they continue until 2022. And this cash assistance, is, uh, the social assistance actually uh, helped alleviate some of the uh, burden that the lower middle income people, the, the, the unemployed people uh, in Indonesia actually faced. I think our survey, the Danasa Research Institute surveyed that the social assistances actually help uh, these people to you know, to shoulder 25% of their, their expenditure. So it's, it's quite a significant amount of uh, assistance from the government, a significant amount of our budget were allocated for uh, this type of programs. And that actually helped. Uh, One of the interesting things about this uh, pandemic, and I speak about it from an economist, is uh, mm -hmm. um, policy ideas have been transmitted very quickly between countries. Hearing you talk about government assistance, um, it's a very it's a very integral part of the policy recipe almost everywhere you look I think it's been actually quite amazing to watch the in a sense the implicit coordination that's happened globally countries seem to have looked at each other and when one has a great idea that's worked other people have copied it quite quickly if, if we stand back a little bit Indonesia often has grown at GDP six percent a year or five percent a year there's a lot of argument that it should be seven or something um, uh, what do you see as the issues here? 
Well, I guess the, I guess the, the structure of the economy, Richard, is something that we need to improve. What I meant by that is that uh, we rely on import very much. We rely on imported goods very much. Uh, for, to grow our economy, we need to import a lot of raw materials and, uh, and, and, and other uh, you know, uh, materials that are required for us to manufacture. And this reliance on import, uh, when we grow the economy, the import grows, and that has an impact on the current account. Once the current account has a deficit, then foreign exchange rate becomes weaker, we have a higher inflation, and then we have to increase our uh, interest rates, and then the cycle starts to, you know, starts the, 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 the decline in growth rate. So I think the, the the inherent structural weakness that we see is something that has to be addressed. Uh, we need to be able to reduce our import. We need to be able to, you know, uh, build industry that uh, we, we need to not only be dependent on commodities, but we need to be able to step up in the value chain. I think that's, that's the key uh, for us to be able to realize our potential economic growth. And, and that's what I think uh, a number of policies are, are being uh, done by the government to try to uh, improve the structure of the economy. Uh, the, we, we've seen an omnibus law being, being issued uh, to make sure that uh, the investment climate in Indonesia is more favorable so that investments can come in and and you know improve basically the, the the structure of our economy by moving up the value chain basically i think i think that's that's the key uh the key word here one thing this pandemic hasn't changed is global capital looking for um for great places to do business so uh i think in many ways indonesia's future is in its in its own hands. Um, we spoke a little bit about unemployment. Globally, there's this talk of the great resignation, which actually is seems to be epicentered very much in the US. And there are maybe some some signs of it in other places. Um, are there signs in Indonesia that people have changed their kind of work priorities as a, as a result of, of the pandemic? In Indonesia, Richard, the economy is actually driven by small, medium enterprises, by entrepreneurs, actually. Uh, 60% of our economy is actually contributed by the small medium enterprises, by, by individual entrepreneurs, and the big businesses only contribute about 40%. So a lot of uh, Indonesians actually work for themselves uh, uh, already. So that's why I think uh, even though in the corporate world, we see employees starting to assess uh, the flexibility of their working hours and, and trying to be uh, having a more balanced life between work and life, between work and personal life. But because of the nature that the Indonesian economy is mostly consisting of entrepreneurs, of individual workers, then we don't see that much of, uh, of an impact. 
in 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 terms of people suddenly deciding not to work in in a company anymore and becoming an entrepreneur for example that's already been the case for a majority of indonesians but if we look at the corporate side only um, and and whether there are people there there are, whether there are there is a phenomenon of people changing jobs um, i don't think i've seen that uh no i don't think that there's a phenomenon of people changing jobs because of the, of the pandemic uh mostly because the the corporate world in indonesia the, the jobs are about a bit inelastic so um it's kind of difficult for 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 employees to find new job in a different company uh if, if that's the case Infrastructure has been a focus in Indonesia for a long period of time. What are some of the challenges here? Infrastructure, very near and dear topic to my heart. I think the couple of problems, Richard. Uh, number one, the there is a lack of, you know, bankable projects. That uh, that's because of the project development is not being done uh, properly the risk management allocation is also not done properly so there's there's a lot of opportunity but unfortunately there's not a lot of uh, ready projects to be to be fun- funded so that's one of the first challenges is basically how to set up uh, a system whereby project infrastructure project development is being made uh, more properly and more professionally and more more bankable so that international investors can actually come in and and fund these projects that's number one number two is uh, usually the problem is with the land acquisition in indonesia uh, land has always been a problem uh, in, in in constructing infrastructure projects in indonesia and i think the the new omnibus law is trying to alleviate that problem trying to attack that problem by giving more certainties by giving more uh, protection to potential investors in in acquiring land that they need for infrastructure projects and finally i think uh, we need to improve the modality of private funds to participate in infrastructure projects because we cannot just rely on the state budget to improve our infrastructure condition we need international funds we need private funds to to participate there and we don't necessarily have uh, a strong or an alternative uh, ways for these investors to participate in infrastructure projects i think that's where the new indonesian uh, sovereign wealth fund that was created a couple of months ago is going to play a big role because that's where uh, this what we call, the SWF is called INA INA and that's where INA's role is actually you know expected is to bring all these investors to come to Indonesia and and put their money into infrastructure works in uh, infrastructure projects in Indonesia to help these international funds to participate here The ownership of land is one of the great strengths of the capitalist system in in a way uh, but it, it can also get in the way um and you make that point very clearly
Thanks for joining us on Blue Lens On Mic. You can hear more by following us on SoundCloud and finding me on Twitter. This podcast is intended as thought leadership material. It is not published with the intention of providing any direct or indirect recommendations or to influence any person to make a decision in relation to any financial product or class of financial products. It is general in nature and does not take account of the circumstances of any individual or class of individuals. For further information, please refer to the full disclaimer at institutional.anz.com.